sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It is Wednesday, December 4th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 280. Back from California and all ready to go back to California. My name is Caleb Hegg. Back from California and not planning on going back anytime soon. I'm Rob Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, we're, yeah, I'm back from California and uh, my family leaves next Tuesday to go back to California, but this time not on business. This time my family's going for a vacation as we have tended to do for the past several years in December. Uh, but I do have to say we still will have a show next week. We're going to, we're going to schedule a show. I already know what we're going to talk about. It might sound redundant because we just talked about it like four shows ago, but I had an interesting email. So anyway, it'll be a good show. Tune in. Yeah. Is you know, that going to be, oh, that will be live? It will not be live. It will not be live, it, it, but it will be posted on Wednesday. Caleb, yes. I have to ask, because yes. when you get back, yeah, are we officially starting season seven? Yeah, and I still don't have intro music, so I don't know what to do. Hmm. 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 Season seven. Season seven. Seven is the number it? of completeness. Yeah. We're starting. We just started season one of Kids Think Messiah Matters. By the way, I think what we're going to do is we're going to release on Fridays. I think. So keep your keep your eyes open this Friday for a Kids Think. Yeah. Um, before we go on, well, maybe maybe while you're you're on vacation and you have just want to get away, you can start plugging some ideas for a theme song very possible um before we go on you know there's been some tragic news recently this is no joke uh first of all uh dr larry hurtado has passed away now i was wondering why we didn't see him at ets sbl i didn't realize that he was sick um a great loss i think to biblical scholarship in general if you don't know who larry hurtado was he was a new testament scholar um he literally wrote a book, wrote the book, <laughs> the modern bu- book on early Christian worship. Um, he's done phenomenal work. Uh, Rob and I actually were talking about his work down in San Diego when we were at ETS SBL, which we will talk about here in a few seconds. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk about that in a few seconds. But uh, his uh, his work on he did a blog post, which I thought was uh, we've we've looked at his blog post. Over and over and over again, he brings up such a good point about the Didache 
that no one I've not seen anyone respond to his his uh, ideas on the didache in that in that blog post. You got all these guys who are doing work on the didache. They haven't even thought to to uh, interact with Hurtado. Anyway, very very sad news uh, that uh, Doctor Hurtado died. Also, Jamie Bauer, uh, Zach Bauer's wife, passed away from cancer this past week. Which, uh, I mean, absolutely heartbreaking. My heart goes out to. We've been praying for the Bowers every single day. Uh, they had two young boys. Uh, Zach, you know, he's he's my age. I just cannot. I can't imagine losing uh, your wife to cancer at, at that age. Um, our, our hearts go out to, to Zach and, and to the Bauer family and, their, and to their kids. Um, so, you know, very tragic news. Uh, Helen asks, what's the name of the scholar again? Larry Hurtado. Larry Hurtado. We posted on the, uh, we posted on the Messiah Matters. Rob posted on Messiah Matters about uh, Hurtado's passing. Um, and actually, I think it was just last year at ETS SBL, I got my picture taken with Hurtado. I could be wrong about that. It might have been two years ago, but I saw him. I, I went and saw him speak in. I think it was in Boston. Yeah. Um, I don't remember last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. He might not have been there last year. So <clears throat> anyway, um, okay. Well, let's talk about the ETS and SBL. For those who don't know what the ETS and SBL is. It is the annual meeting that we go to every single year. It's in a different place every year. This year it was in San Diego of the Evangelical Theological Society. That goes for three days. Then it ends, and the next day starts, this happens every year, the next day starts the Society of Biblical Literature. And the uh, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. The ETS, Evangelical Theological Society, is much smaller. You have to sign a faith, state, faith statement to be part of the ETS, um, and so it really whittles it down to evangelicals, which is nice. And you got, I don't know how many people are there. I would guess around 5,000 people, four to 5,000 people maybe, um, in, in total, hundreds of papers on all sorts of different subjects. The nice thing about the ETS is that they, every year they have a, a theme. So this year, the theme of the ETS was Christ in all scriptures. In all scripture. And so it was a lot of um, papers on uh, Yeshua in the Old Testament, Yeshua in the Torah, Yeshua, you know, so this, this, uh, the view of seeing the prophetic uh, telling of the coming of the Messiah, which was, I, I thought it was really good. There's some good papers on that, by the way. Um, and then the SBL, which starts uh, the day after ETS ends is a much bigger conference because they couple with the AAR. The AAR is the Associated, no, the Academy of Associated Religions. And they are so liberal, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's just, it's it's cringeworthy how liberal they are. It's uh, a lot of like Buddhists, Taoists, um, LGBTQ papers, all these kind of things, you know, and, and the AAR this year, it was the first year I saw it. They gave people on the name badge, they gave people uh, who uh, were going to the AAR an option to put their their uh, preferred personal pronouns uh, below their name badge, uh, which was ridiculous because <laughs> most of it was like old guys with, you know, like huge beards like him, he, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, I, I felt embarrassed for the people who were at the AAR. Anyway, um, 
So since the two are coupled together, the SBL and the AAR, it's a much larger conference. Uh, what's going on with my video here? Hang on just a sec. Let's bring this up. And uh, so there's about 12,000 people. I, I would say 10 to 12,000 people that attend the e SBL. Um, and the book display is much larger. It's uh, The book display, I think, is the crown jewel of both conferences. Because you can walk around the, 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 uh, the book display. You bump into people, you know, like I was, where was I? Oh, I think I was in, uh, I think I was, the, the Net Bible, the NET Bible had a, a, uh, a, a display this year, which they've never had before. And you could buy the physical book of the Net Bible, beautiful bound leather, all, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm walking, I'm looking at this Bible. I realize that on my left-hand side is Dr. Daniel Wallace. On my right-hand side is Daryl Bach. Mm -hmm. And then behind me, walking by is N.T. Wright. So it was like the, the triangle trifecta of scholars right in my general vicinity. Um, anyway, okay, I've talked enough. Uh, by the way, uh, three things that need to be noted, and I will pass it over to, to Rob. First of all, Rob gave two papers at the SBL. So he presented oh. in two different sections. One of them was on the Masora. I have edited that video. It is up in the Messiah Matters More. Is it right section. on yeah. uh, right. I have to tell you though, I'm I'm gonna be completely honest with you. You might get lost. It's a lot of heady stuff. There's a lot of words that if you're not in that set, if you don't know something about the Masora. Rob doesn't stop to explain. He just assumes everyone, and rightly so, because it's the Masora section. He just assumes everyone knows. So he's just, you know, and the Hebrew says this, and, you know, it's this, this, and this. And I've taken a Masora class, and I'm still having to rack my brain on, okay, what exactly is he saying here? So it is extremely heady, extremely heady. But if you uh, if you are up for the challenge... You can go, uh, if you're one of our supporters, you can go into that section. And it's the video and the notes there. He also did cool. another lecture. And then, which I will put up in there as well. And then also, Rob has been published by... Uh, oh, it's Georgas Press. Gorgas Press. Right, because we had to ask. Yes, we had, I, he, was, I he, he was too shy to ask how to pronounce it, whether it's Georgius, Gorgius, Gorgius Press. And so I walked in for him and said, how do you pronounce it? Anyway, Gorgius <laughs> Press has a, has a, a book that they, uh, that they have published now. One of the authors in this book is Rob Vanhoff. It is extremely expensive. So if you have $145. Yeah, I think it, it's, they have it half off to the end of the year. But yeah, it's, it's definitely spendy. And well worth the money, I might say. That was say. funny, that gal there, she's like, here, I want to get a picture of you with your article. <laughs> they retweeted it. I tweeted Did it. They? The, yeah, they retweeted I, it. I don't have Twitter on my phone, so I didn't look. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's talk about some of the highlights of ETS and SBL. Go. Um, ETS, watching, I like the language, you know, being the geek with the, the biblical language uh, instruction is always a good session. Right. And there's usually the very first morning, like the very first morning of ETS, 9 a.m. or 8.30 or whenever it is, boom, they have a, a Bible languages and um, linguistics session. And so we had 
Dr. Paul Overland talking about his uh, learning biblical Hebrew interactively. He's created a curriculum, and um, he's been in in contact with Dr. Jen Noonan. Um, so she's she's not the author of this curriculum, but she was involved in its development. And uh, we got to have dinner with the Noonans, both doctors Ben and Jen Noonan. Doctor and Doctor Noonan. Yeah, doctor and doctor. There is a lot of brain power that, that was sitting at that table, and it was oh, just just those two people. Amazing. <laughs> you keep going. And and so um, so Doctor Paul Overland, he's got a, a curriculum. Uh, doctor Miles Van Pelt, uh, we use his Aramaic grammar uh, published by Zondervan. It's one of the resources we use for our Aramaic class. So I I chatted with him. He gave an awesome presentation on um, the focus was for his presentation, resources for teaching Hebrew that are coming up, that are going to be published in the year to come, which are pretty cool. And one of them was Dr. Ben Noonan's upcoming book. I think it's going to be coming out this next year, Advances in the Study of Biblical Hebrew. We have, we have the... Uh, there's the one, the one that we use in second-year Greek, this is uh, advances in the study of Greek. I don't know. I can't see my camera, so I don't know if that's visible. Yep, you got it. Anyway, Constantine Campbell. Um, so our good friend, Dr. Ben Noonan, is, uh, was tasked by Zondervan to do the, the one for the Hebrew. Advances in the study of he Hebrew for Zondervan. So it'll look just like Constantine Campbell's book. And so he got a big shout out there. That was great. Uh, anyway, so uh, Dr. Bill Mounts gave a presentation. I had a good chat with him. I more talked at him the whole time. I just, <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> I just, he was just sitting down by himself, and I just went right. I introduced myself, and, and we had talked before, but I reintroduced myself because I don't presume he's going to remember me. I said, you know, I've been using your curriculum for seven years now. I uh, love it. I said, we pray for you every session. Like we thank God for you, you know, for your work and asked him some questions about some things. And, uh, it was really great. It, it, uh, it, yeah, it was just wonderful with, with SBL things shifted, you know, the, all of a sudden there's a, the book display, what m multiplies by four times or five times. It has a child. Yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes one huge book display. Yes. But there is that, you know, what you were talking about, Caleb, there's a ideological, frame shift between ETS and SBL. Um, with ETS, you generally think, you know, we're all, we, we're all on the same team kind of thing, uh, in terms of faith, which is the more, the more inner, our inner life. Um, whereas, um, even if we have doctor, you know, there might be some doctrinal differences. The shift to SBL is, is the shift into the marketplace more broadly like the marketplace of ideas in a, in a giant sense. It's almost like what's the, in the star Wars movie and that for where they go into the cantina, you know, and you see yes. all the, you know, it's, and that's kind of the thing with the gender, you know, they, them call me, they, or whatever, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like literally you're on a different planet and there's people from all different planets with different languages and, and styles of ways of thinking um, and did you find the gender neutral bathrooms? No. Yeah. Lucky. 
I, I always just found it said men and I was fine with that. One book I before we shift gears and I'm happy to answer, you know, if you had any questions about my my experience on giving the papers, I, I love it. It it creates a heightened intensity on the preparation front. Caleb knows that. I, I think you'll agree I'm doing better as the years go by. Very much by, so. By God's grace, I'm learning to not be so nervous and so anxious about it. Um, because it's, it's you know, it, it just is what it is. That's my personality. Why, you know, there's a desire to, to not suck. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> you know, I want to do it. I'm representing... You know, here's how I okay, but here's how I know Rob does really well. I go in, I sit down, I listen, I catch about forty to fifty percent of what he's saying that computes in my brain, like okay, I got that, and the rest of it is like, and then I get done, like he gets done, and the whole place erupts. Yeah, very well done, very well done. Oh, see, I see, see so and all these under- massive scholars are just like. Yes, I, I understood no, exactly what you're saying. I know have, uh, I know have, <laughs> I know have memory. <laughs> Obviously, so I just can't remember. Like I, I, because you know, I don't know. There's a sense of feeling nervous. Anyway, I wanted to touch back a, one little treasure I found, and they had them there for only five bucks. The list price on the back is fourteen ninety nine. This is Crossway, brand new publication by Crossway, and I'll hold it up here. It's called. An introduction, so not introduction, just A-N, an introduction to the Greek New Testament produced at Tyndale House, Cambridge, by Dirk, D-I-R-K, Jonkind, J-O-N-G-K-I-N-D. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but anyway, this is this is the book. And a couple of weeks ago, someone had asked about, how do we know about manuscripts? You know, wasn't it written in Hebrew first and translated? Wasn't it written in Aramaic? This book is just, what, just about 100 pages. It's super tiny, nice, it, very pleasant to read. I mean, it look it, it, the production quality is great. And it's the tone of the author is, is brilliant. It's very down to earth. But if, if you've ever thought about buying a little, you know, you probably get it right now for 10 bucks or so, An Introduction to the Greek New Testament by Dirk Jonkin. Crossway is the publisher, by the way. If you've ever thought about it, this would be a good book to read. It's, I think it speaks to a person who doesn't have any, it doesn't presume that you have Greek knowledge. It's like, what, what's the difference between a translation and an edition? What, how do we deal with manuscripts? What about Bart Ehrman, who says that, um, you know, if God really inspired his word, he would have made sure that we had perfect copies, you know, stuff like that. That's my paraphrase of it. So he interacts very uh, kindly and concisely with the biggest critics of the New Testament, like Bart Ehrman would be one of them. Um, and he's got a glowing review by Daniel Wallace and by Michael Bird. I didn't, I, I just picked it up because it was like on a pile of says five dollars and it said introduction greek new testament i'm like oh that's worth five bucks if it's crossway it's probably pretty good and then later when i sat down and started reading it i was just blown away it's worth way more than the five bucks so uh now i spent a lot of money on books uh (laughs) praise god but this this so far best purchase yeah five bucks 
so I would just encourage anybody interested, or even if you've done Greek and you're looking to expand your vocab, your uh, your uh, library a little bit on Greek New Testament studies, this is one to get. Okay. Highly recommended. I'm going to do, I know that we've spent a lot of time, we've spent 20 minutes on this, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown, just real quick of my favorite points of, so ETS was okay. However, my real joy in going to these things is twofold. One, being with the Torah resource team in person, being able to, it's like a, it's like a team building exercise, right? <laughs> Because you go in and you're listening to papers, and you come back together and you talk theology. So it's really it's really good for the Torah resource team. Um, but beyond that, uh, the Society of Biblical Literature has a section now on uh, meals in the Greco-Roman era. And uh, basically, this is my focus of study. So I have fun. I go to these. They have three of them throughout the, the three days. <clears throat> and uh, I got to say... They're really fun for me. Now, I think most people, there's not a lot of people in them, maybe 15, 20 people attend, you know, and, uh, but the people well, that yeah, attend. yeah, because it's a refined. Right. The people who attend yeah. love it. Um, there was a guy, he was from Wisconsin, and uh, I could tell that he was a, a pretty uh, uh, avid beer drinker. Uh, they did a whole session, one of the three sessions, or sections, I should say, in this Meals in Greco-Roman era w- was on wine and drunkenness in Greco-Roman meals. And so uh, it was talking about whether or not, you know, uh, all sorts of different things, whether or not the symposiums bled over into Jewish meals and and there was drunkenness within the Jewish meals, all these kind of things. Well, this one guy from Wisconsin, and I forget his name, but he presented on whether or not, it was basically wine and beer in the first century. And uh, I could tell that his love for beer was, was flowing into his, into his the- theology. And he talked about whether or not, he started by, by uh, an overview of beer within the rabbinic literature. Then he went into whether or not it is acceptable, the rabbis have this discussion on whether or not it's acceptable for beer to be used in place of wine during Havdalah. And the consensus is, ah, yeah, some say yes, some say no. But then he goes into, okay, well then, can beer be used for in place of wine for the, the Kiddush? And the answer is no, until later rabbinics when all of a sudden the rabbis start investing in breweries. Then all of a sudden there's a little bit of give. <laughs> ah, we have steak in this brewery. Now maybe a little bit. Anyway, so that was that was really really interesting, uh, and kind of t- he talked about the brewing centers. All it was fascinating on many different levels, uh, in terms of rabbinic literature, then also first century literature, then also uh, archaeology. It was it, the whole thing was just very good. So I had a lot of fun in that section, and uh, got and all three of those sessions were really really fascinating for me. Uh, one of the uh, one of the the very first one in that section, the very first block of papers, was on what time what time period we believe uh, Christians started using the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, as liturgy within their services. Now, this uh, when you first hear that, who cares, right? Well, the consensus was late second to early third century. If that is true, these two papers both argued that it was. And then Andrew McGowan uh, responded. 
if that's true, it is it, it actually affects a huge amount of scholarship because so many people like Paul Bradshaw believe that the the canon was actually added to certain parts of the canon were placed in there because of liturgical uh, reciting. So in other words, let me give you an example so people understand what I'm saying. Luke twenty two nineteen. Some people say that that's added. Paul Bradshaw says it's added because it was part of the church liturgy. And so they added it to Luke's gospel. Well, if what these two scholars were saying is true, then that is absolutely not the case. So it actually impacts the formation of the canon and things like this. Anyway, I thought it was a wonderful uh, two conferences. I was sick the whole time, so that made it miserable. But besides that, um, yeah, it was, it was, I thought it was very, very good. Okay, let's move on to things more controversial. This is, uh, this is a very controversial topic. We saw our friend down there, Sam. <clears throat> Sam uh, has his own YouTube channel. He uh, responds to and uh, argues against Muslim theology. Uh, just a wonderful guy to hang out with and talk to. He said to me, and I'll tell you how we came to this. He said to me, you need to do a show on whether or not Islam worships the same God as, or no, he said, do you think that Islam worships the same God as Christians? And I said, no, absolutely not. He said, okay, do you think Jews, non-believing Jews worship the same God as Christians? I said, oh, that's a that's an interesting topic. He said, you need to talk about this on your show. Because if I say it, I'm just a goy who doesn't know what I'm talking about. But if you say it, it holds more weight. And I said, well, that's a horrible thing to think. Because, uh, you know, read Ephesians. And he said, I totally agree with you, but it's just the way it is. Okay. So, what do you think, Rob? You want to go so first? which one are we, are we going to do? We're doing do non-believing Jews. Okay, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna like we've talked about the Muslim idea, right? Um, I don't know if we've talked about the Muslim idea, but I think that that's an obvious one. Here, here's if if we just talk about that briefly first, <clears throat> Islam is the 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 story, the history as they understand their religion is that it's Abrahamic, right? You're talking about Muslims, Muslims, yeah, right. And Jews the Ishmael, same way. Right? Yeah. yeah. And Jews the same way. They see their faith as Abrahamic. Right. And Christians ultimately would see their faith as Abrahamic. Right. So, and there's been writ- books written on this, the, Abra- the faiths of Abraham or something, right? And whereas Buddhism, right, or Hinduism, are we would say are world religions, but they do not have any kind of... Uh, historical uh, sense of identity or family or history that is associated with Abraham, God calling Abraham at all. So, so I would say that there are things that we have in common if we just want to accept these three main world religions as, as real things, as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Right. And there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of books been written on those religions and comparing them at just, but a footnote is at some point, I think the very concept of religion breaks down and it's not even helpful anymore. And this is where 
because because on the people who say world religions, oh, people would say that, yeah, probably Jews, Christians, and Muslims probably all worship the same God, the God of Abraham, and they just have different ideas about him, right? That would be like your surface-level conversation with the person who's read a little bit. Now, but the person who's more detail-oriented, <laughs> right, right. They're gonna, it's going to start to break down, and they're going to start, wait a minute. It's mutually exclusive, right? Especially when you start talking about deity of Yeshua, of course. But, but that's not even um, necessary to bring that important right. detail for us to start seeing it break down. Um, so so we ha- that's part of the challenge in the conversation is the shared is, – is that there's stories that are shared – between all three that have to do with revelation of God revealing himself to humanity. And but, uh, okay, hang on. Let me play. And, and so let me that play. makes it difficult for us to unpack why, because I think you and I are going to agree with our friend, Sam, that, that, that it's a, di- that really is a, a different God, which in my view, I, I need to qualify that. Because hang on, just Paul, a sec. Wait, wait, wait. Can I make, okay, can I make a, a quick point? But but you can't just say that shared stories are uh, make things the same. Relig- I, know, I know that you're not, but uh, that that breaks down because the Epic of Gilgamesh is Gilgamesh, yeah. whatever it is, is the is the story of the flood, right? It's just told from a different religion, different gods. It has it has a story of a flood in it, right? Right. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But I mean, I'm just talking Abraham being a core principle. Um, historical figure, right? I mean that they're all invested in a literal Abraham. Now you might get I would I would say that probably liberal Christianity and liberal Judaism, there will be people who would say, well, Abraham didn't really exist. I don't know about even liberal Christians maybe not, but I know that in liberal Jews they'll just say, you know, it's maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. It doesn't matter. The important is that we is that the story captures the core morality of us as a people. And that's what's valuable for our heritage, not whether or not Abraham was a real person, not whether or not David, King David really had a kingdom. Um, And this is, it sounds funny to say that, but there are in academic institutions, even in Israel, scholars that are Jewish scholars, Jewish historians and archaeologists that, that lean towards the not really ever being a big Davidic kingdom. Or Solomonic kingdom, but rather it was just big inflated stories that Jews told to give themselves history, right? So, so, so that that it's a big can of worms that we're opening here. Philia Ministries just uh, gave us a super chat. You've been blessed. But they, they say always thankful for your resources, Shalom, and on your home. Thank you very much. We appreciate you guys as well. Go ahead. I just want to. There's one verse that is important to me in this conversation. And this is from Romans 10. And Paul, he starts out, Brethren, it's my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, that is, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Okay, I want this verse for me to always be on the table, like in the front, 
because Paul's wrestling with this idea. Now, of course, Israel, we don't, we don't have to come to the New Testament. We can look at the talk and we see Israel time and time again is falling into idolatry. And the prophets are always calling Israel to repent and return to God. So one, one front of the conversation is the difference between worship the true God versus idolatry, which is ultimately what the discussion is about. So the, you could reframe the question, are Orthodox Jews who reject Yeshua, are they idolaters? Right? Is that, a, is that the same question, Caleb, or do you think that's actually a different question? State it one more time. Are the well, people- if I say, do Orthodox Jews who reject Yeshua have the same God? Is that the same way of, is that the same question as saying, do Orthodox Jews who reject Yeshua, are they idolaters? If they have a different God, someone's an idolater, right? Uh, I agree. You- so, the, so what's going through my mind right now is the is is Israel as worshiping the the golden calf. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's super because Aaron says this is Yodhevave who brought you out of Egypt, right? Right. And it's clearly not. I mean, we as readers are saying, pulling out our hair, saying, "Aaron, what are you doing?" Right. But. We're confronted with simple but, 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 but this is what you have. You have God right there on the mountain. With and, Moshe. Right? With Moshe. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden, you have Israel worshiping another, a, a golden statue right there. Yeah, obviously an image. Obviously a, a form. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, is that you don't have Jews, you don't have Christians sitting there going, oh, look, no, it's okay. Israel's really worshiping the same God. Now, as soon as you say that you, ha- that, that you have to believe in Yeshua to worship the God of Israel, the true God of Israel, then you have all these Messianics, you have all these, Jew- you know, uh, these Hebrew readers that'll say, whoa, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. No, they believe in the same God and... and uh, they believe in a Messiah, so therefore uh, God reckons that to them as righteousness. Right. But that's not what Yeshua said. Right? I mean, Yeshua, okay, here's the, here's the, the, the path my mind went down today. First of all, we'll talk about the golden calf versus modern day Kabbalism in a few seconds. Because I think that Kabbalah, well, let's talk about it right now. Modern day, uh, the, the uh, Jewish Kabbalism has risen to a place within Judaism. And I believe that Kabbalism is witchcraft. So modern day, the modern day Jew, non-believing Jew, and Judaisms, not Judaism, but Judaisms today, have accepted into their belief system a form of witchcraft. And to me, I see this just like the golden calf incident. So the idea is that, oh, well, we have all this witchcraft, but in in our religion, and I think it's way more pervasive within Judaisms today than you think. If you go to a reform Jew's house, they will have a mezuzah on the door. You walk in and there's going to be a Hamza somewhere in that house. That's witchcraft. The idea that amulets and these kind of things can protect you is idolatry. 
And if you get into Hasidic Judaism, it's way worse. Now you're talking about replacing Yeshua with a tzaddik and all sorts of well, different here, and, things. And there's the an element is the syncretism, right? I mean, is it different if you go somewhere in, in let's say, Central or South America where Catholicism made a strong inroads in colonial era and then you have it mixed with local superstition? Right. So those people might think they still might go to to mass, right? And but then they go home and do some sort of voodoo thing, you know. <clears throat> I so, agree with you, and I'm not saying that there aren't pagan things. I mean, I think that within culture, uh, things tend to come in that uh, are going to not be of the Lord, and and I mean, even the Torah gives us uh, provision for you know sin that you aren't aware of. But the, but the point is, is that within Judaism, it has reshaped belief structure. That's It's reshaped theology. But let's go to Yeshua. Let's see what Yeshua says about it. Obviously, Yeshua says in uh, John 14, 6 and 7, he says, uh, Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if, they're not, if, if non-believing Jews aren't coming to the Father because they don't believe in Yeshua... Then who are they coming to? Yeshua says they don't come. They can't come to the Father. I look at it like this. <clears throat> Here, here's another angle. Caleb, you've you've been to the Kotel, right? The the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. Here you have, you know, for those who've been there, you you know the experience there. You've got these. Um, Fountains to wash your hands with the with the double handled cups, right? Because they want you to right. prepare yourself religiously. You have to have if men and women are separated, right? Like little like sheep right. from the right from other sheep or whatever through the little walkways <clears throat> and the little pens, right? So there's two little pens up against the wall, and there's barrier between them. And if the males going in have to have your head covered. Right. So there's a now they don't police the hand washing, I don't think. But um, and then you have people praying for, you know, hours on end there. And there's prayer books. Um, aside from the social media opportunity, there's always people there taking their pictures, <laughs> taking pictures of themselves at the Western Wall, which to me is kind of funny because um, it, it's like posting your religiosity or something. I don't know. That's that's. But, but this is seen, and I remember we, taking some pictures, and I put it on our Facebook page of the signs that says you're about to enter. You know, this is a holy place. This kind of thing. Well, that represents to me the the blockage, right? Access to the Father for right. those that are praying at the Temple Mount. What would access to the Father in their worldview? They feel blocked. They feel the closest we can get is this. And if we go up, if, if for some reason their certain rabbi would permit them to go up on the actual temple mount, some forbid, some permit, that they there's certain places they won't walk, even though it's accessible area, because of fear that that's where the temple was and that's a holy place. So their conception of access to holiness is defined by the physical situation of Jerusalem as it is today. Right. 
that's if if you're in Messiah, we're we don't believe that we are closer in worshiping God if you're in Jerusalem or if you're in Timbuktu or if you're in the North Pole, right? Or it, that our access to the Father is is through Yeshua. Like right. it says in Hebrews, you know, come boldly before the throne of grace. Well, does that mean I have to physically go somewhere? Or is that access that I have through Yeshua? And back to, to cite Romans again, Romans 5, he says, we being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Yeshua. And it says, through whom we have access to this grace in which we stand. Being in Yeshua, we are um, in, we have koinonia, we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son by the Holy Spirit. And this is not bound according to physical location. I'm not holier because I go at the Wailing Wall or I go up on the Temple Mount or I'm right. in Jerusalem. That's, there's, there's no, that's why Yeshua was making this point in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. She's like, well, you, you know, Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem and about, you know, we worship here on Mount Gerizim. You know, what's the true place? He says, the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. And that is the core deal. Does that mean that Jerusalem is not God's chosen place? No, I'm not. I don't say that at all because it's the city of the great king. I believe Yeshua is going to reign from Jerusalem. He's going to. This brings up a good topic of, of holy space. Anyway, hey, you should jump in the chat room. We got someone trying to teach a Greek class in our chat room right now. Oh. S <laughs> S E C H. Um, I'm going to make a point. I, though. I'm going to I'm going to avoid just because my last time I kind of lost my. Oh no, no, no! You should do it. You should do it. You should jump in there real quick. Um, so let's go real quick while while Rob does so. John eight thirty nine through forty four says they answered him, Abraham is our father. Now keep in mind. Yeshua is speaking to people who are the religious leaders or the we should say the Jewish leaders of at least one sect. And there might have been multiple represent, representatives. Right. He says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So at this point, what's going on? The religious leaders here are claiming that they believe in the God of Abraham, and they're claiming the God of Abraham. What does Yeshua say? Yeshua said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't think, you know, I know this is difficult for people because, oh, we want to, we want the, the Jewish people to come to faith, first of all. And we want Israel, God's chosen people, to see the truth of the Messiah. But to say that, that the non-believing Jews in Judaism today 
worship and serve the same God that we serve is simply not true. And not only that, go ask any Orthodox Jew and they're going to tell you the same. If I say I worship Yeshua, they're going to say you worship a different God than I do. Right. That, that's a fair point. I think Mike brought that point up. That's Mike a, did that, bring that point up. That's, that's a fair point. Well, here, here's another another side, because this is a can of worms, is if you talk to an or you you could find an Orthodox Jew that is an atheist that basically will say, I don't know if God exists or not. All I know is that I my tradition compels me to do the halakha, to live according to the halakha. The tradition does not compel belief. It does not compel right. a specific interpretation of Scripture. The the uh, Orthodox Judaism is not going to because why? Because you'll look at the medieval rabbis and you'll look up. But well, what does this verse mean? Well, you look, open up the the Rashi and the Ramban and the Rambam and the Ibn Ezra and the Bavanel. Right? What are they going to say? They're all they can give different different interpretations of what it means, and none of them are compulsory. Is that the right word? None of them are necessary for you to grab onto and to stick to. It's the idea is that scripture has multitude of meanings. What's important is not that we're going to compel you to believe the scripture means a certain thing, but that you need to behave a certain way according to the halakha of the of our elders, of the rabbis that came before us. Right. That's what it is. It's a completely different culture than what we think of in Protestant Christianity, which is that yes, um, there, there is expectation and behavior, and there are traditional behavioral things. However, the, the presupposition of Protestant Christianity is that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, and you're, that there are scriptures mean something. Right. And for you to be, to, to actually be um, recognized as a believer, it means that that there are certain scriptures, like Isaiah 53, right? It, 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 this is talking about Yeshua first and foremost, because the apostles said so, because the gospels say so, that that those are closed loops for you. So that's now you're instantly in a different kind of cultural world, a different domain that has bound your, your heart to the scripture meaning certain things, that it points to Yeshua, that this is about Yeshua. And about his his incarnation, his suffering, death, resurrection, and, and Baruch Hashem, his ascension and intercession for us, for the elect. That's non. If I if I strayed from that core conviction, Caleb, you'd say, man, you're like you're you're leaving the flock, right? Because that's that's the defining thing. But if if I was an Orthodox Jew with without Yeshua on my radar at all, and I said, Caleb, you know, I think. I think I'm leaving Rashi's interpretation of Genesis, whatever, and I'm going to stick with Rambans instead. Caleb would be like, oh, cool, man. Yeah. I, or you'd, you'd say like, oh, you know, I'm not familiar with Ramban. Tell me, what was his take on that? You know, it, in other words, I could shift my interpretation of core critical uh, scriptures from the Tanakh, and you wouldn't see that me as leaving. But if I said, Caleb, I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to pray at the Minyan. And I'm no longer going to say the uh, Birchat Hamazon after meals. You'd say, dude, you need to go talk to the rabbi, right? Or, right? You'd be concerned, not because I was abandoning Rashi's reading of, of 
the Torah, but because I was abandoning the Mishnaic ruling. So what I'm the reason I'm pointing this out is because they're two different kind of worlds. This is where, and it's on this front that the term religion starts to break down. Because when we just think of religion, oh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it sounds like there's just there's this thing called religion, and you just pick which one you want. But it really, are they the same kinds of things? And when you, the people who are attentive to detail are going to start to push on that and say, you know what, I don't know if they're the same kinds of things. See, I, I see this as a, as a much larger... <clears throat> I, this, this argument has a lot of implications. And the reason why is because if you have Messianics, if you have Hebrew rooters, if you have Christians who are saying, oh, well, you know... Uh, the, the non-believing Jews, they believe in a Messiah, which by the way, I'm not making this up. This is doctrine within some ministries, right? We've, we've fought this. Um, oh, they believe in a Messiah. Therefore, you know, and Mark Biltz puts it, oh, well, they believe in the name of above all names. What's the name above all names? yod So if they believe in yod even though they don't know it, they believe in Yeshua. Okay, so... The implications of this argument is that the Bible, that what Yeshua says, is not really what Yeshua meant. It's a giving up on the 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 inerrancy of Scripture. And they, honestly, I mean, people are going to think that this is extreme, but this is happening in the liberal uh, section of the church as well. The whole transgender idea is that, oh, God put me in the wrong body. So I, God was wrong. God did something wrong. He put me in the, in the wrong body. This comes back to a, a scriptural basis. Do we believe the scriptures are true or not? Is God the ultimate creator? Is he, is he right in his creation or not? And if the I go, Okay, you, you had me open this thing. There's a person on here. Why is everyone with an American accent on YouTube? I don't understand what that means. Um, probably because YouTube's an American company and had traction in America. <laughs> but what does that have to do with? <laughs> yeah, people need to stay on point here. I mean, I, I don't understand. Pe people need to yeah. stay on point within the chat room. Yeah. I put that. I put the other person in timeout. Because uh, they were off doing all sorts of weird stuff. Anyway, um, I think that the, the implications of what we're talking about is whether or not the Bible is true or not. When Yeshua says, no one comes to the Father but through me, you have these groups that are trying to say, okay, well, let's try to twist this around so that people can come to the Father without Yeshua. And I understand so that. Paul, so, how do you understand where Paul in Romans ten then says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they're not a, they're not discerning God's righteousness, but they're trying to establish their own righteousness. Are they building? Is he saying that they're kind of building false religion, that they're building works of man, and trying to call that? Yeah. What what the faith of Israel should looks like? I I think so. Yeah. I agree. Well, I look at it like this. Okay, so think about Mark 7 or Matthew 15. So Yeshua's talking to these Pharisees who are who are upset because the, the disciples didn't wash their hands before eating. And he says, you're, you've nullified the word of God by your traditions. He doesn't call them idolaters. But is there—why not? 
why didn't Yeshua call them idolaters? Why did he say Isaiah prophesied about you hypocrites? Saying, you know, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there was a there was this kind of space where a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could still in some way honor with lips, even though that's vain and shallow, but having a heart far away, he's not yet calling them idolaters. But he's saying, look, you've built up this system of hand washing, of uh, purity rules, all these things that you think are based in the Torah, but they're really your own invention. And then you're judging other people for not adhering to your little rule book that you set up. And in so doing, in doing all this, you've neglected the actual word of the living God. And so why does Yeshua not say, you guys are idolaters, you're not worshiping but does it, but, Okay, God. but doesn't he do that at some point? I mean, the passage that I just, the passage that I yeah, just read in John, at, yeah. in John, yeah. you know, he says, your father is the devil. He calls them whitewashed tombs and vipers. I mean, yeah, you're right. That's not come the the passage in John eight. I think is basically calling them idolaters. Your father is the devil. Whereas the whitewashed tombs and vipers is not necessarily calling them right. idolaters. But yeah, I, I get what the you're category, saying. There seems to be a category where Israel is different. Israel, it's it's unique because a, a Gentile who doesn't have the Torah. And is is just uh, um, immersed in whatever their ancestral worship was. Let's say little figurines in Roman, like you have a little altar in your house with the little figurines or whatever. Whatever Romans did, that guy can't misrepresent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he's he doesn't know anything about it. The the Israelite who's been trained and taught about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and knows the stories, is still has a depraved heart, unre, you know, unregenerate heart, if, if that's the case, and therefore is in a position to misrepresent the God of Israel to other Jews, also to the nations. And that's a, that's a scary place. Like, in other words, it's who, interesting. Yeah. Who, who's, 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 whose judgment is greater? Whose condemnation is greater? The Jew who knows the Torah by heart but misrepres but because of the bulk of tradition has misrepresented the God of Israel to the nations and rejected the Messiah and rejected the Messiah or the pagan Roman who who just because of time and circumstance is an idolater who just hasn't heard the gospel yet or who just heard the gospel and believes and just hasn't sorted out the implications for his life yet Maybe this is off topic, but you know, I th what this reminds me of is is Peter in Acts. He keeps every time he every time he comes to the Jews, right? He says, "And you crucified, and and you put to death unjustly, and you, you know, you, you, you." And then he gets to the Gentiles, and they crucified him. In other words, he has these different categories of who he's talking to, and he knows it. Is that kind of what you're getting at? In other yeah, words, yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. At someone po posted about Romans 11. I think that's a fair text also to bring in here. Paul's thinking right. of this in Romans. What does it mean to be in Messiah? <clears throat> we already talked about Romans 5, Romans 10. 
And he talks about branches that could be broken off because they're not abiding by faith. Well, that's that's it. That would be it. The branch that the natural branch broken off that still could be in God's wisdom and in his timing and provision grafted back in again. That's that's the kind of this space we're talking about. Why are they why is it torn off? Well, it's it's not yet thrown into the fire. Right. I don't know. I mean, this is. So back to the question, do non-believing Jews, and by that, I know this is the title of our thing. I'm sure there, there's atheist Jews, so we're not talking about atheists. Because uh, yeah, Jewish they, culture yeah. is not related to religion. We know that. There's Buddhist Jews, for example, <laughs> right? There's, right. There's, um, so we're talking about Jews that are defined by some sort of Torah-based practice, that, that their orientation to life and, and faith is based on some sort of tradition of the Torah and commandments. If they re- have rejected Yeshua, so by saying non-believing, we mean that they they reject Yeshua. Are they worshiping the same God? Um, and I, I would say I would lean towards no, but my it's just that verse back that I said from Romans ten. I'd say you know it's not according to knowledge. Um, they have a zeal for God, and that zeal is reflected in the prayers. And bringing the traditions to the Wailing Wall. Why is the Wailing Wall a, a sacred place? Why do they separate me, separate men from women there? Why do you have to have your head covered? Why do they have the hand washing system out front? Okay, that's all their religion brought to bear on their best best option in in this physical world of a holy place with that's proximate to where the temple was. Um, and to me, that's the zeal. For God, I think that now I, is it according to knowledge? No, I think you and I would agree that that reflects that it's not according to knowledge. I think that that it needs to be said that look, just because they are, just because non-believing Jews are uh, reject Yeshua and might be worshiping a different God, which I I think they are. I think they're worshiping a different God, but just because they're worshiping a different God doesn't mean that they're not God's chosen people. In other words, there is a temporal blessing that comes to Israel to physical Israel here yeah, on earth. Well, and absolutely. and God desires for his people to come to him. I believe that. So the point is is that uh this is not to put down or to or to to say we're not preaching replacement theology here. Um you know and Philia Ministries says are we worshiping the true God with simply a lack of understanding or are we unknowingly worshiping a different God. Here's the thing is I think that if we look into Jewish theology, modern Jewish theology and the different sects of Judaism, I find it hard to say that first of all, a, that we could look at numerous, numerous groups and theologies within Judaism's today. I find it hard to say that you have, um, a, a rejection of Yeshua, first of all. So they're not coming to the Father. But then beyond that, they are... They're asked. insisting the Father is someone else, in a way. And beyond that, they're, they're, they're bringing in all sorts of, of uh, witchcraft practices into what they're doing. To me, this reeks of, of Israel in, in the wilderness. Well, That's what are, it feels like to me. Orthodox, 
there are Orthodox Jewish streams that reject Kabbalah outright. I completely as agree that with same, you. As that same thing. So, but they're so few and your, far all between. All your criticisms are valid on the amulets and the magic and the stuff like that. And there are actually Orthodox Jewish groups that would agree with you in that same criticism. So that we need to make that point. Why? Because to say that this is not a criticism that originates with us. Right. There's actually in in Judaism. And yeah, and the, those who follow Maimonides are the ones that are the more the, they they call it a rational Judas rationalist. They're they're not into, um, what do you call it, uh, magic or um, you know superstition and stuff like that. Oh well, I'm sure this is going to get a lot of uh, a lot of comments, <laughs> which is fine. We we welcome them. Um, like I said, what Rob and I are going to do, and uh, if you are a supporter of this show, I would encourage you to to uh, keep an eye in uh, Messiah Matters more uh, on that page. We are going to be posting some things, um, hopefully in the next couple of days, and uh, then also next week we will have a show. It will not be live, but I would encourage you to come and, and take a look at that. Um, we're going to be redo, kind of redoing a topic a little differently than we did before on what we believe. And um, so I, I think it'll be a good show. I'd also encourage you, if you have kids, uh, my son and I are still working out the details on how exactly to do this show, Kids Think Messiah Matters. We've talked about moving it to our house so that we can both sit at the same table and have... Um, but my son, <laughs> my son desperately wants to work at Torah Resource. And so... I keep saying, let's do it. Let's do the show at home and, and we'll record it at home. And he keeps saying, no, I want to work at, at your, at the desk. He wants his own desk at, at Torah resource and he wants to be able to come in and, and, uh, and work with, with dad. So, um, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do it, but we're going to keep doing it. And I think we're going to put one out this Friday and, uh, we might keep doing it on Fridays. Uh, so anyway, keep your eyes open for that. It's been an interesting conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I hope that we've at least sparked some thought within you, and uh, yeah, people, the chat room has been interesting today as well. Uh, I like Christina's, uh, her comment, she says, this makes me think of how, of when Hebrew rooters say we are committing idolatry by believing in the Trinity. You know, I'm going to make one comment on that. Somebody, I, I've been watching some some uh, streams on Twitter uh, concerning the, the Trinity. When Hebrew rooters and Messianics today say they don't believe in the Trinity or they have the Trinity, I would say 98% of them that I personally have seen don't understand the debates over the Trinity. They don't understand the history of what the debate is even about. All they do is they say, oh, uh, I, I see this, this surface-level theology, and I disagree with it. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have no... And the way that I know this is that people in these streams have said, well, I don't believe in the Trinity because... And then they make a point that was a major point of contention for the Trinitarians. They're actually arguing Trinitarian theology without realizing it. So, um, anyway. Okay. Um, it's nice to be back, but, uh, we will be back for season. We'll be back live for season seven. Wow. Good gracious. Uh, and that will be show, let's say 282 will be live again. Um, 
Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters.